This is Small Cap Stocks Today, your best source for information on small cap stocks coast to coast with your host, Dave Donlin. Now, from the Stock Investor Daily Studios, here is Dave Donlin. And welcome back to another program of Small Cap Stocks Today. The edition today is featuring one of our all-time favorite guests. In fact, the show that we did about a year ago, believe it or not, was the all-time most listened to program of Small Cap Stocks Today. That's on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and also Google. And I am talking about none other than Dom Chu. Dom is the Senior Markets Correspondent for CNBC. Obviously, you can find him on CNBC. On a daily basis, Monday through Friday, he's on there, always talking about the market, stocks, homes, everything. And uh, you can also find him on Twitter, at The Domino. That's his Twitter feed. And so, Dom, welcome back to the program. So glad to have you back. It's great to be back, David. Thanks for having me. We're looking at um, S&P 500, NASDAQ, Russell Index, all at highs right now. Uh, market's going crazy, over 30,000 on the Dow. Uh, question for you, I guess, to start out, are, are you feeling bullish these days? You know, it's crazy to think about just how far we've come. I mean, it wasn't what were we eight, nine months removed from the fact that we've hit, you know, the market lows during the COVID pandemic, that this notion that we could lose so much value in such a short amount of time and then not just recover, but recover fully and, and more uh, to, to kind of where we are now here in, in, you know, in the later part of 2020. It's just astonishing. Now, you can argue, you can kind of talk about, you know, whether or not the the economics of our country, of the world, you know, in the pandemic environment with COVID justify a valuation for stocks at these levels. But you, you can't really dispute the fact that there is a huge amount of optimism coming out in the marketplace because of what's happening with vaccine developments and everything else. There is a real sense that 2021 and beyond will look much better than it did in the early part, middle part of 2020. And, and so, yeah, when you think about it that way, there, there is reason to be bullish and still. And by the way, if you're a stock market investor, you've got to be like long term bullish, right? I mean, you don't invest in the stock market, invest, I mean, in the stock market, unless you think tomorrow is going to be better than today. So, yes, there's a reason to be bullish. The only issue now, David, is it's gone so far, so fast without any kind of a real pause. And that's what's causing a lot of angst from some of those traders and investors out there who are still, by the way, long term bullish. They're just like, wait a second, you can't go, you can't double in value in like three or four, five, six months and then expect nothing to go down at, at any point in the future. So that's where we are right now. The, the, yes, long term bullish, but my goodness gracious, it's been a, a crazy ride up in the last five or six months. No doubt about it. It's like almost like anything you put out these days, especially if you're a tech stock, any kind of news, that you're guaranteed the stock's going to go up. It's um, it's really crazy to watch. Uh, well, by the, the way, David, the last time we felt like that, I mean, so I started my Wall Street career, right, you know, in a prior life. I started my Wall Street career at the height of dot-com back in like 1999, uh, 2000. Sure. This is the kind of stuff that we were talking about and thinking about and feeling back then. Now, I'm not saying really that this is back in like 1999, but you know, when, when I look at my social media feeds, I look at the people who interact with me, I, I talk to the guests that we have on our air. I talk to a lot of the traders and investors that I speak to on a regular basis, the sources I use, that sort of thing. And when you start to hear incrementally more and more people talking about the word bubble, right? Talking about this idea mm -hmm. that it could be like the dot-com era. It gives you a little bit of pause. And by the way, we're doing this, this podcast taping 
at a time when DoorDash and Airbnb are going nuts in the IPO market right now. So there are folks out there who kind of feel as though it's starting to get that same tinge, that same feel, right, from like 1998 sure. to 2001. And, and, that, and that's something to be cautious about as well. Yeah, the Airbnb uh, IPO, they're, they're pricing that out at, uh, what is it, $68 a share, but they're also looking up at a high around, what, 145 right now? So the indica- it hasn't even opened yet as of this moment on this day that we're taping this, but it hasn't even opened yet. The indication I saw was $150 a share after pricing it at 68 By the way, $68 a share means that the company's value, market value, will be roughly $47, $48 billion at the IPO price, more than double that. You're talking about a $100 billion valuation for Airbnb if hypothetically it reaches those levels shown pre-open. Now, just to put it in perspective, David, do you know how much Marriott, the biggest hotel operator in the world, is worth right now in market value? Mm. Would you believe it's not even $50 billion? Wow. So Airbnb, the home-sharing site, Yes, there are there's there's growth involved and, and future growth factored in, but you're talking about a company that could hypothetically be worth twice as much as the most well known brand name hotel operator in the history of mankind. Hmm. Unbelievable. Uh, that that's that's just astonishing when you're thinking about that these days. And and we're talking about the IPOs, uh, DoorDash and Airbnb on this particular subject. Quick question. I'm curious, uh, Dom. What do you think of the IPO market? Do you think it's gonna is it ever going to come back to where to where it was, uh, you know, previously where we were talking about all these IPOs rolling out? I mean, I know that's it's taken a major dip, uh, pause, whatever you want to call it, over the past four, five, six, seven years. But uh, do you see that coming back at all in 2021? There should be a notion that things are going to have to cool off a bit, right? Because you can't have the kind of capital raising prowess these companies have, have, have had over the course of the past nine to 12 months without some kind of a pause. Now, now you can argue why those valuations and IPOs are as hot as they are. A lot of people will say that the, the underlying macroeconomic environment with, with, with kind of the Federal Reserve keeping interest rates so low, keeping so much cash in the system you know, making it so that you don't have to make that much more money to greenlight any kind of a project or a return, right? If interest rates are zero, all mm-hmm. you got to do is make 1% and, and it's worth it, right? Because the Fed's just going to sure. keep interest rates at zero. Those types of valuation arguments for a while now. The reason why I'm a little hesitant to say that is because it's the, the biggest variable in my mind is, is a soft variable, right? It's a touchy-feely variable, and that is human ingenuity. The reason why I say that is because if you look at the roster, of companies that have come public this year, you are talking about some of the most highly sought after, biggest brand name, private companies in the marketplace in years. You talk about companies like Airbnb and DoorDash. You talk about companies like Palantir, right? These are the massive unicorn companies that everybody was trying to get a piece of in the private markets, and now they've come public. I don't know if you're going to find another set of years in the coming, you know, five or six or seven, where as many of these massive brand name tech unicorns will come out at the same time. And and that's the reason why the capital raise has been so strong is because it's like fine art coming up for auction or like a professional sports franchise, 
right? They don't come they don't come to market very often. So when you do see them in market, people tend to bid them up because they just have scarcity value. I don't know if you find that kind of scarcity value in this kind of in in these droves, I guess, for for these types of companies at any point in the future without taking at least a little bit of a break. Sure, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, like you said, you're talking about uh, kind of who's who have been rolling out on the IPO side. You know, back in the day, so to speak, as people t tend to talk about, is you would see IPOs rolling out every single week. A variety of companies, some that shouldn't be public, some that uh, you're wondering why they didn't go public before, along those lines. But now, like you said, it's more focused on the capitalization of these these larger names that everybody knows. It's they're all household names coming out. Yeah, I mean, these are the, the, the types of names that you're talking about are, are ones where there is a good amount of brand recognition. A, a point that you have to make in this whole IPO process is, you know, people often talk about who, who participates in these IPOs. Remember, it's not folks like you and me, right? It's not it's not many mm -hmm. of the listeners out there who participate in these IPOs. These are these are the product of roadshows, of marketing, you know, kind of plans that are put in place to sell these types of investments to larger institutional investors, whether they're mutual funds or hedge funds or things like that. And people talk about allocations, right? People like you and me, we don't get allocations, so to speak, to these types of IPOs. We don't get to invest in Airbnb in the public markets at 68 bucks. We've got to wait until it comes to market, right, before we can actually do it. But sure. this is a scenario where because of the nature of the number of companies that have come out between names, you know, we mentioned the Airbnbs and we mentioned, you know, DoorDash and Palantir, you know, Snowflake, one of the best performing mm -hmm. IPOs, cloud computing, Lemonade. I mean, some of these types of names that have come out over the course of the year have been just this notion here, right, that you could have a, a company with the kind of brand recognition these companies have. Once they come to market at arguably an already elevated valuation, people say, I want to own that company because I know it. That's when the retail kind of escalation comes into play. And so if that's still there, that's fine, right? Because people are aware of it. The, the, mm -hmm. the, the tough part is if too many people start doing that, the valuations, the valuations do become problematic. And, and that's what you're starting to see now, even with the retail investor, even with the mom and pops out there. They're starting to say to themselves, "Is is Airbnb? Really I guess I could assume it's going to grow at X percent every year, but is it really worth twice as much as Marriott? Sure. Or is DoorDash really worth more than Chipotle? You know that uh, kind of thing. I mean, that that's that's a big deal." Absolutely. Our, our guest today, if you're just tuning in, Dom Chu, Senior Markets Correspondent for CNBC. Great to have Dom back on the program. Talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, Dom, companies that have benefited from the new parameters of life around the COVID-19, video conferencing, cloud computing, streaming video, we know a lot of them. You think they're going to continue to be uh, up at the top of the list for a lot of investors in 2021? It depends on COVID, right? <laughs> I mean, sure. that, that, that's the big that's the big variable here. That the reason why these companies, you mentioned video conferencing and cloud computing. I would also throw Peloton in there, home fitness, right? I mean, that stock's mm. been that stock's been on fire because people are just not going to gyms. They're 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 kind of staying at home and they're they're ordering these bikes and droves. So the waiting lists are massive and they can't even ship these things out in time. That type of behavior is indicative of very specific moments in time where it becomes where it becomes more of a i guess a variable is when you start to see them disrupting the overall kind of 
economics or industries that they're they're involved in. Uh, the reason I don't use that word lightly, disruptive, but if they are disruptive, then maybe they do command a premium valuation. The the the, the issue right now is that when you have a lot of these catalysts revolving around the fact that there have been economic lockdowns in a, in a public health crisis due to COVID-19, eventually that goes away. And now I'm saying that goes away because I'm an optimist, right? I believe in the human condition. I believe in human ingenuity. I believe that no matter what happens, much like every other sickness and pandemic that we've battled as a, as a, as a human race throughout the history of our, our, our kind of existence, we've overcome every one of those and COVID-19 will be no different. What it comes down to is the markets are already, you can see on a day-to-day -day basis, handicapping things in real time. Mm -hmm. Because yes, they were the same ones that pumped companies like Zoom Video up to where they were, Fastly, you know, Wayfair for the home shopping trends, you know, that sort of thing. But they're also the ones right now that have pushed, you know, airline companies, right? And, and hotel operators and cruise lines for that matter to these ultra multi-year depressed low levels where some of them might've gone bankrupt if they couldn't raise more money or get government bailout funds. Those are the companies that are roaring back the strongest right now, ever since we heard the real ramp up in, you know, the, the, the vaccines being developed, right? With Pfizer and BioNTech, with Moderna, with the you know AstraZeneca and Oxford variation out in the UK, as you start to see more positive test results, these depressed companies that have been beaten up badly are the ones bouncing back the strongest. That tells you, by the way, that the folks who are trying to get in there are either covering short positions, right, betting mm -hmm. against these companies, or they're saying, you know what, maybe things have bottomed out and that 2021 and 22 are going to look better. And by the year, you know, by, by one or two or three years from now, we will be back to what we were doing before in terms of eating out at restaurants and traveling and doing all that kind of stuff. Those are the companies that should benefit. So that dynamic is certainly playing out right now. So it, it, it remains to be seen whether or not you, I don't believe in, in, in the stock market history will tell you that you cannot keep growing at the kind of percentage rates a year that some of these companies grow at without some kind of a pullback or a pause. And just remember, I mean, if it, if it wasn't dot com back in, you know, the late 90s, or early 2000s, it, it wouldn't if it wasn't subprime during 2007, 2008 and beyond, th th these things tend to reset. The only issue is when and, and, and how long it takes. And that's going to be something to watch for in the next few years. True. And I guess another one we could add to that list, too, when we're talking about Peloton, which is just huge, is uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, stock's been up 330% uh, since March lows, and that's incredible. Uh, a lot of people staying at home, not just watching Netflix as an example, but they're working out. And uh, I know that for a fact. I mean, try to get, uh, you know, Olympic uh, uh, weights these days, uh, get an Olympic plate <laughs> to go work out at, at home. Um, the price is ridiculous to go and try to buy it online as an example. And, and you're lucky if you could find them to begin with. It's uh, crazy. As as oh, I, I just want to say, you, yeah. you hit with Dick's, by the way, that company has been like at the center of a perfect storm around COVID because it's not just the fitness equipment. It's also outdoor goods. And by the way, I'm saying this because I'm a golfer. I'm a diehard uh -huh. golfer. A lot of our fans know this. They sure also, you're... they sell a ton of golf gear at Dick's. They also own Golf Galaxy, which is the biggest golf retailer in America. Mm -hmm. Golf has seen a massive surge. It's the singular sport that you play outside, socially distanced. They are, the golf equipment sales they have are massive year over year. And by the way, it's not just sporting goods. They also sell things like patio furniture, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuff has gone through the roof as well. So, you know, Dix is a great story as well there. 
Yeah, it, it really is uh, phenomenal. It's just unbelievable where that where they're going and that ticker symbol. Uh, I believe it's SDKS, Dick's Sporting Goods. We're talking about as far as type of stocks, industry groups to look at in 2021. Any ideas uh, from your perspective, Dom, that you really like going into 2021 in that in that particular area sector? Any particular stocks? Obviously, everybody wants to talk about the tech stocks, but anything other than those. The more and more I talk to the guests we speak to on a daily basis here, the more you'll hear about kind of like this non-tech cyclical type trade. And what that means, it's not that tech is going to underperform per se. Tech has been an outperformer kind of, you know, on a consistent basis for decades now. It's this notion that if you're looking for the real outperformance, you want to find some of the things that will recover, right? If the COVID pandemic, I shouldn't say if, when the COVID pandemic goes away, these are the types of companies and industry groups that will kind of recover faster or have been beaten down because of the pandemic. For that, you're looking not necessarily if you if you exclude technology, right? There are folks out there who are looking more at things like the industrial sector. If we start to kind of get the economy going again, are there companies out there who will start to make things again, right? Or make equipment that can make things again? It's going to be areas like in energy. Now we all secular talking more about alternative energy these days. But when the economy ramps up, not just here in the US, but around the world, and certainly in emerging markets, you got to use fuel. And you're going to use fossil fuels. It's the cheapest way to do it right now. And so you, you'll see that, by the way, and it's played out over the past, past couple of months now. The energy sector has been roaring back. Now, the context is it's, it got beaten up so badly right, in, in, in the course of 2020 that it had to bounce at some point. But energy, industrials, materials, those types of companies could be the ones that outperform. And by the way, the small cap stocks out there were massive laggards up until the last couple of months. And now they've really outperformed. That's, a, again, that part of that economic reopening trade. This idea that these smaller companies will then start to really play catch up when things quote unquote get back to normal or as close to back to normal as you can in the next couple of years. So a lot of folks we talk to say, watch the small caps, what, you know, watch smaller capitalization companies, watch things like emerging markets and watch the industrials. And by the way, I should throw financials in there as well. If the economy really starts getting going, maybe those underperforming bank stocks have been that, that have been that way for years actually start to play a little bit of catch up there as well. Uh, just to get a real quick comment from you on the cannabis stocks, we're seeing stocks up on the NASDAQ like uh, Grow Generation, um, Afria, uh, both of these stocks, GRWG, APHA, were down on the OTC markets, and they're looking really strong up on the NASDAQ these days. And you're also seeing from the election, states like Arizona, I believe New Jersey got it approved, but there's some issues in the legislation there as far as uh, getting it all worked out. Do you see the, the cannabis side continuing to uh, you know grow? Uh, is that going to be part of the small cap stock side, do you think, or, or no? No, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And, and the reason why, I mean, but it's not going to come with volatility. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason why that volatility exists in many of these cannabis stocks is because it's not, not, it's not necessarily there's a lack of transparency. It's more this notion that the economics of, of cannabis or marijuana, right, can fluctuate so much from a competitive standpoint. You can talk about things like total addressable market. And, and, and when we talk about those things, 
it's about the things you mentioned. Which states are going to legalize or not legalize? Is the federal government going to kind of be more conducive to these things? Where does it grow in other parts of the world in terms of the industry? Those kinds of total macro picture type things will be always part of the, the story for cannabis. But the individual mechanics of some of these companies are going to make it so that if you – unless you're – Unless you want to invest in the industry as a whole, right, from a from an ETF manager's perspective or a mutual fund manager's perspective, mm-hmm. you're going to have to get really good at picking the individual stocks for these things. And and, and the, the things you're going to want to look at in types of those in, in terms of those types of companies are going to be how they stand in terms of their competitive position amongst all the other companies out there. Remember, there, there are tons of these cannabis companies that are starting to grow really quickly, but they can't all grow that quickly together without at least cutting into each other. So there are going to be haves and have-nots here. I would say this. I mean, I cover bits and parts of the cannabis industry. I am not a cannabis analyst, but I got to imagine that a lot of those cannabis analysts out there are starting to dive very much into the numbers you know, for these companies to see whether or not there is any kind of a real competitive play that's going to stand out in this environment. That's going to be the big thing. I mean, you mentioned some of the smaller companies out there. A lot of the folks I talk to when they, when they say cannabis, they're like, Tom, look at Scott's miracle Grow. Not a small cap company, but a fertilizer maker like that has been you know, up, up in a way. It's not just marijuana. It's because people are gardening more at home during the COVID pandemic. You know, people are starting to kind of, you know, grow their own fruits and vegetables. Maybe it's a hobby type thing, whatever it is. I mean, there's all kinds of derivative plays that are going to happen with with cannabis. And I would just say that if you're going to do it, it's going to take some stomach because if you just look at some of the stocks that we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Look at the fall that they've had over the last few years to where they are, you know, to, to where sure. they were earlier this year. Yes, they're bouncing back like by double. But they're coming to soft some some really depressed levels. It's certainly going to be something you have to watch. Yeah, great information, Dom. Thanks so much for that. Uh, we're with Dom Chu, senior markets correspondent for CNBC. Dom, I know your time is limited. Last thing we want to touch on, um, maybe discuss a little bit. I, I know we talked about this last time, but we didn't get into it. Which is uh, coming off the COVID nineteen, we're talking about the pandemic. One of the one of the sectors, streaming stocks. Now. We're seeing some very interesting things going on. Obviously, people really aren't going back into the movie theaters these days. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, Warner Media announcing that the new Wonder Woman movie is going to be streamed on HBO Max on December 25th. And then not only do they put that on there, they say that apparently their entire slate of films in 2021 will be on HBO Max the day it opens in theaters. That's that's just one thing to talk about. What's your take on the streaming stock market? Wow. So, so, so you've hit on one of the, the craziest, hottest topics right now in terms of industry disruption that's going on because of COVID-19. Uh, the reason why I say that is because, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan, noted director, right? The, the guy behind Tenet and a lot of these other, other, other big movies, which is, by the way, a Warner Brothers property, right? Uh-huh. He came out very vehemently against really negative words to Warner Brothers Studios about this notion that they're going to release all of these movies to streaming. That's not what he wanted. You know, he, he and other filmmakers, you know, didn't want to do this for streaming, that kind of thing. Meanwhile, you've got Patty Jenkins, who is the director of Wonder Woman 1984, right? Who's saying that, you know, she's, she's happy that, you know, they've been able to adapt to kind of do this type of thing as well. I, I would say that, that the biggest story in streaming right now is going to be whether or not human beings like you and I change our behavior that much to where we don't really want to go to movie theaters anymore. Now, I would say that the markets have already said that people aren't really going back because if you look at the stocks of companies like 
know, theaters or, or anyone else out there, people are saying, all right, these guys aren't really going to come back that much. If you and I really just watch these blockbusters at home, then there's going to be a change in dynamic in the industry. And the, the, the issue right now is the big companies behind the content, we're talking like Disney, we're talking AT&T, which owns Time Warner and HBO, right? These companies are trying to get ahead of it as much as they can. And they feel as though they're in the catbird seat, right? Because they're the ones who are creating the content that is then shown in these theaters. Mm -hmm. If they can control not just the content, but the distribution as well, you've pretty much just wiped out that entire part of the American economy, right? I mean, theater distribution. Sure. If, but it only works if people stop going to movie theaters and only want to consume it at home. I would say this, now that I, I'm, I'm a father, my family, ha we have two small children right now. I can't remember the last time I was in a movie theater, even pre-pandemic. I just mm -hmm. have to get babysitters and everything else involved. But what I what I did do, I did go to see those blockbusters in the theater. I loved watching it on the big screen, right? All the Marvel movies, right? All the, 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 the big blockbusters for Star Wars, that sort of thing, all the Lucasfilm ones. I would want to go watch those on the big screen in the theaters. I would shell out my 20 bucks a ticket for that. What I didn't do was shell out $30 to watch Mulan from my home on <laughs> Disney+. Plus. So, mm -hmm. so it all depends on it. when you're looking at these streaming wars, right? The thing that you got to figure out is when you, I mean, obviously there, there's a good amount of financial analysis and, and kind of like, you know, balance sheet and income statement reading that goes into it. But think to yourself when you, when you, when you make an investment thesis, do I feel as though this industry, am I going to act this way going forward? And are millions of my peers across the country and world going to act the same way? And then, then you start to look at the secular play for streaming. I would say that my personal view is that streaming is a game changer. I know that during the pandemic, I have streamed so much more TV, right, or movies than I ever thought sure. possible. And I, I can't remember the last time I sat down on the couch and watched a, a good two to three hour block of live television. I have watched a ton on Amazon Prime and on Netflix and on Disney Plus and on Peacock, which is you know the NBC property that you know that, that we have on our, our, our streaming side of things. I watch all those platforms way than I watch way more than I watch live television. So, you know who knows who knows if I'm if I'm typical or atypical of the of the, of the viewer out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, to go along with what you're saying, I mean, I'm a big, uh, have been a big movie theater going uh, type of person. I uh, love the experience. It's kind of sad to me to see what's going on out there right now with the movie theaters and and uh, how they're being affected. You got AMC talking and Regal, I think, talking about possible bankruptcy or needing bailouts. And uh, so when he, it comes to here's, that. well, here's what I would say, and, and and not to kind of kind of belabor the point. This is very much a story about technology enabling all of us as consumers of media, paying consumers of media to have much more of a choice in what we watch. I remember, I mean, I'm not, I'm older, but I'm not that. I'm a middle-aged guy right now. But I remember when I was growing up, it used to be like you watched the Saturday or Sunday night movie on television and it was an event. Like your family would tune into like CBS or ABC or NBC at eight o'clock on Saturday or Sunday night to watch that movie. You had to look at the TV guide, right? And figure out when the show was going to be and at what time you watched it. Technology has made all of that obsolete. I can watch whatever the heck I want whenever I want to watch it. 1.30 in the morning, 1.30 in the afternoon. It doesn't matter. We as, we as consumers have benefited from that. And that's been the paradigm change in media consumption. We've also had to change the way in which we pay for it. 
Now, my cable bill is still exorbitant. People are cutting cords, but how much more can they cut cords if all you're doing is bolting on that many more streaming services that are going to end up costing you the same amount as your media bundle did before people cut the cord? So true. I mean, on my end, uh, just talking about me on my end, I probably got uh, five streaming services <laughs> right now. I think I same with me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy. And then when you're looking at the market uh, on the stock side, I mean, everybody always wants to talk about Netflix. That's always the conversation. Amazon as well. But you're looking at um, companies like Roku and Spotify right now. They're pretty much at their trading highs right now with a lot more upside, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's huge. And a lot of that's pinned on, pinned on growth, right? That This notion that, mm -hmm. by the way, I will, I'll give you a case in point, the reason why it's always pegged on growth. Look at a company like Disney, right? We don't even, I mean, the tragedy of the COVID pandemic has been, you know, numerous across many different companies and industries. But Disney is a massive theme park operator. <laughs> Yet the, the Disney stock at record highs right now is despite the fact that its theme parks either remain closed or yeah. running at a very limited capacity. Why is all that optimism there? It's strictly because of streaming and the compound annual growth rate people expect from streaming platforms. Now you, now you take that right example and you apply it to Spotify, whatever, the, the, the consumption of these types of products and platforms is now growing at such a phenomenal rate. By the way, it can't keep growing like that. I, I would just point that out. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's been growing at such a phenomenal rate that these companies now are worth more and more because there is this expectation that people will continue to stream and listen to Howard Stern, who just got a massive contract, apparently, from SiriusXM, mm -hmm. right? And then Joe Rogan who's, you know, doing podcast type stuff. Sure. I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens when there are true catalysts in the industry. I would say this, though, the place to have been is in those companies before you started to get news of all of these kind of, you know, you know, growth rates. Now that they're there, it's hard to say whether or not you're going to continue to see that kind of growth. They're going to have to keep pumping out content that drives people to their podcasts and their streaming videos because of that. Roku is a device maker, right? but also because they have to ink contract deals with people who provide the content out there. Roku's going to be one of those roller coaster stocks as well. And I would just say, you know, by the way, Apple's in that mix as well these days, right? The sure. And you get Spotify with, uh, yep. with some like 3 billion phones out there. So mobile phones, sure. and they are with the Spotify app. I know I have it on my phone and I stream it all the time. Every single day I'm on Spotify. Now I got my daughter, hey. my 12 year old daughter's looking at it, jumping from iTunes over to Spotify. So, that's another thing, and, and it's a great point you make about Disney. You take a look at Disney on the theme park side. I'm actually based in Orlando in the central Florida area, and the parks here are open 35% capacity right now. Because that's all they can be. Yeah, and look, and look at, at what in the LA, In L.A., they're closed. Yeah, L.A., are, they're, they're absolutely closed, absolutely. And, and I'm not too sure about what they're doing overseas. I know the one in Asia is open. Uh, I'm not sure about the one in France, et cetera. But, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal what the stock is doing. And then you look at the programming Disney Plus, that Mandalorian show is just – got super buzz everywhere um no, it yeah, just seems just like that, that's I mean, yeah it's it seems really like the that's content, where like the market yeah absolutely a absolutely seems like that's where the, you're seeing some real big winners out there and it seems like they're gonna it looks to me like they're gonna start investing more and more in shows like that on tv understanding that the streaming side is gonna get bigger and bigger I mean, I think it has to be, right? But but it only has to be if people like you and me and all the listeners out there continue to consume media the way that we are. You, yeah. you have to have subscribers, right? Most of them are paying, right? Or subsidized, right? In, in some way, shape, or form. But if people, if people are going to pay 
to to watch or listen to things in that way, then you got to give the people what they want, right? You got to build platforms around how people are consuming. You can lead people as much as you can, but if they don't buy into it, they're not going to buy into it. You can't make it economically viable. So at the end of the day, this is about looking at consumer trends and the real skilled operators out there in the media world tend to understand or be able to forecast what our consumption patterns will be like in the coming weeks, months, and years, and then gear their programming around that. I would say that a lot of the companies that have done it really well have been rewarded in the stock market for it. But you know, to play catch up in this environment is going to be difficult. You, you really do have a first mover advantage, I, I, I believe, in this kind of a market when you're in streaming video or media, if you can understand what people are going to be consuming in the next, you know, tomorrow versus today. That's going to be, if you, if you can tell the future, you're going to be rewarded for it, just like in any other part of the market as well. Yeah, we're here with Dom Chu, and, and Dom, you're on, you have a Twitter feed, which is a great feed. If anybody's listening and that you have not gone over to Dom's Twitter feed, take a look at it. He talks about everything from Ravens football to the markets <laughs> to everything, right, Dom? I even, I even uh, saw a cookie on there that you and your daughter made, right? <laughs> yes, we did. We, we did cookie decorating this time around. So it's, it's always a fun, calorie-driven time of year for us. So Exactly. So the Twitter is at the Domino. That's at the Domino Twitter feed for Dom Chu. Dom Chu, Senior Markets Correspondent for CNBC, has been our guest today. Special guest from uh, appearance by Dom. Dom, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure. Happy holidays. Great. This is Dave Donlin, and we hope you uh, enjoy the program and continue to listen to us for another episode coming up here on Small Cap Stocks Today. You have been listening to Small Cap Stocks Today, your best source for information on small cap stocks coast to coast with your host, Dave Donlin. Join us again soon for another edition of Small Cap Stocks Today.